This evening I'd like to speak about vision. Every great journey that we make in our lives, whether it's to climb a mountain, to attempt something we've never attempted before, to bring about major changes in our lives, calls upon us to have a very deep sense of vision. Every great journey, include this, including this spiritual journey, calls upon us to have a connection with a sense of vision. It is vision that inspires us to go beyond territory that's known and familiar to us. It's vision that gives us the, the courage and the steadfastness to leave the boundaries of what is safe and comfortable for us. And it's vision that inspires us to travel into territory, to explore landscapes outwardly and inwardly that we don't know that are unfamiliar to us. When we look at the world around us, what we see is how in the past and in the present, the world and our perception and understanding of it has been changed and altered radically again and again through the vision of different individuals. The most radical transformations that have happened in our world, in our society, whether they're social, whether they're spiritual, whether they're political, the most radical transformations that have affected our lives and our world have been rooted in the vision of individuals. Martin Luther King had an incredible sense of vision a way of people being together without injustice and exploitation. Gandhi had a vision of a way of walking with oppression that didn't breed further violence. The Buddha had a vision, had a vision, a sense of possibility of awakening, of liberation, of truth. All of these people had the depth of vision that moved them from the familiarity of what was known, of what was familiar, to explore horizons. And in so many ways, our hearts are deeply touched by those visions and by those stories of these people who have changed the world, who have changed themselves through the power of their vocation and the power of their love. And our own inner vision is sparked and inspired by their example and by their stories, by people, by teachers who've been able to follow a path of commitment, a path of love, a path of peace, even in the midst of, of hatred or obstruction or oppression. 
What's important also to see is that vision is not just the territory of great and saintly people. I feel our hearts are equally touched by the story of a, of a young child who, who knows and learns how to, how to meet a life-threatening illness with a quality of grace and acceptance. Our hearts are touched by the story of a refugee who is exiled, pressed, and yet knows how to find forgiveness and compassion in their hearts. The power of transformation, whether it's inner or outwardly, has never been the territory of only saintly or special people. Sometimes we are tempted, I know, to make heroes look for heroes and saints and gurus and to admire them and emulate them and look up to them. And there's a great validity in looking at these stories and the examples of people who've gone before us, of people in the present, and seeing how their vision can inspire us and move us. But the basic message in listening to these stories is to look inwardly. The essential message in listening to these stories and looking at all of these people is to look within ourselves and to remember that vision is not the preordained gift possessed only by a select few. It's not only a Gandhi who can forgive. It is not only a Buddha who can make great sacrifice. It's not only a Dalai Lama who can touch the hearts of the world through the power of their commitment and their compassion. The people we admire, very rightly, are not necessarily born with innate qualities of saintliness or of holiness. All of these people we look to they too are human beings who at times in their own lives would be only the first to say they've at times been wise and at times also known what it is to be foolish and to be blind. That these people are born just as we are born with the capacity to learn and to open, with the capacity to listen and to see with the capacity to be awake and to understand. Not necessarily born with something different than we are born with. None of the saints, none of the most special people in the world were necessarily born endowed with anything different than we were born with. Out of these gifts of our capacity, to see and listen, to learn and understand, that we share with all aware beings is born vision. It doesn't come from somewhere else. It is out of our very capacity to be aware that vision is born, vision that can transform, vision that can inspire, vision that can bring about radical changes in our lives. Vision is the energy that moves us, 
It is the energy that propels us. It's the energy that moves us at times to attempt what seems to be impossible. Vision is the energy that inspires us to attempt to bring about changes and even to risk failure rather than always turning towards what is safe and what is easier and what is known to us. Vision essentially overturns our belief systems. It overturns our conclusions and overturns every boundary that we have ever felt. What vision does, what the energy of that vision does, is essentially it inspires movement towards something, at times towards a way of being or a way of seeing or a quality of heart that is not even necessarily clearly formulated within our minds. It is vision that inspires the movement that ex- that to extend ourselves beyond the boundaries of what we know, beyond the boundaries of our personal experience and our individual lives, and to reach for what is not yet known, to reach only for what is possible. That movement is a risk. There is always a risk in leaving behind what is secure and the props that are familiar to us. And yet that risk is always seen in the light of possibility. Vision is not a magical benediction. It's not necessarily even some great inner revelation or insight. It's clearly not a concept belonging to the mind. Sometimes vision is no more or born of nothing more than a refusal to accept the unacceptable. Sometimes vision is born of simply a refusal, a refusal to accept pain, to accept limitation, to accept injustice or oppression. That refusal to accept the unacceptable is the beginning of vision. Sometimes vision is born of faith. A faith, an unshakable faith, in our sense of possibility. A suspicion, a faith in our potential, a faith in the possibilities in our world, the faith that it is possible that our world can be transformed a faith that it is not necessary, not the norm that the world we live in will always be filled with injustice, will always be filled with oppression and violence, a faith that we don't always need to be filled with conflict or with struggle or with division and separation. That faith doesn't have any proof. We can't always rest our faith on proof. I know this can happen. It is deeper than that. It is deeper than guarantees. It's not blind, but it is a steadfast faith in our own potential. Sometimes vision is born of suffering. Suffering is sometimes the beginning of a new birth. 
when we suffer or are hurt, are wounded in some way, and we live with that sense of hurt or being shattered or wounded and scarred, and out of that very suffering is born a clear sense of vision. And no longer believing totally that that suffering will be prolonged and perpetuated, a, a faith that it can end. That faith is so important for vision to be realized. The faith in ourselves to bring about changes, the faith in our possibilities, and the faith in the effect of bringing about that movement. When we initiate the movement born of vision, we're moving towards what is unknown, towards what we only sense. And at times we're making that movement whether it is outwardly in the world or whether it is inwardly within ourselves, we are making that movement often in the midst of so many forces that, are, that seem to deny that movement or have the power to deny that movement. Whether it is the forces of the past, whether it's the forces of other people, whether it's the forces of belief systems, often our very inner movement towards awakening, towards a different way of being and seeing and living in the world takes place in the midst of obstacles and adversaries. We have the, the, our, our very movement takes place inwardly in the midst of fear, in the midst of identification, in the midst of insecurity and conditioning. And they are all forces that we move that seem to pull us towards the path, towards the past, instead of encouraging the very opening into the present and into the next moment. And that is the only place that that movement can take place, is in the midst of those forces. There are very few people of great vision, either in the past or in the present, who have embarked on their journey to the sound of applause. And we should remember that in our own journey. Do you expect your demons to clap? <laughs> they won't. Do you think there's necessarily a voice inwardly that's going to arise and say, hooray, fantastic, you're getting rid of this insecurity, you're getting rid of this. How often is another voice within ourselves that's saying, you know, I need it. You know, I, I, I need my conditioning, I, I need my habit, I need my control. Our vision and the movement that is born of that vision takes place in the midst of that which pulls us towards the past. Sometimes it's ridicule from others. Sometimes it's judgment and censoring from others. Sometimes it's blame and doubt inwardly. It is faith, quite simply. It is faith in ourselves. Faith in our vision that gives us the courage, the steadfastness to forsake the demons and to forsake the forces that pull us towards what we already know and to the past. It is our faith in our own vision that really gives us the courage to leave behind us what is no longer acceptable to us. How important 
is vision to us? Is it important at all? Would it help us in our own path to hold a sense of vision more clearly in our hearts? When we undertake this journey, when we begin in spirituality, we often have a very murky sense of vision. We're aware, most likely, of the need for change, the need for understanding, the need for exploration. We are aware on different levels of dissatisfaction, of the dissatisfaction of, of limitation, the dissatisfaction of superficiality, the dissatisfaction of struggle. We're often more clear about what we want to leave behind us than what might unfold from that leaving. We're often very clear how much we want to leave behind us, pain and the alienation of separation. We're clear that we want to leave behind us that judgment and reactiveness and anger and greed. And at the same time, there's a sense of possibility. There's a sense of being magnetized by the by the promises of spirituality. There's a sense of being magnetized by the possibility of, of, of opening and being awake in our lives. And we're magnetized by the words and the experience of people who have traveled this path before us. And we're magnetized by the possibilities of awakening and peace. And yes, it's, we may be clear that we want to leave behind. We may be clear about what we're attracted to, and yet so often they are the experiences of others, the words of others, the stories of others. And in the midst of those two, we don't always have a very clear vision of our own possibilities. We know experientially what we want to leave behind. What we've heard it's possible to move towards still may only exist on the level of concept or idea. It's a difficult place because when you come here, no matter how tantalizing the promises of spirituality are, your actuality is your experience. Your actuality may be to be confronted again and again by the very things that you want to leave behind. And when the possibilities of ourselves and the possibilities of this path have yet not really always been felt in very deep ways, sometimes our faith is shaken. Our faith in ourselves is shaken. Our faith in our vision is at times shaken. We don't, we go through many times when we feel uncertain about our capacity to bring about change and transformation. And we see when our faith is shaken or becomes weak, how easily we are swayed, how easily we, we become lost in doubt or dwell upon the, upon the past, or we believe that our sense of vision exists only on the level of fantasy. Faith is one of the most challenging qualities for us to cultivate. 
Not faith necessarily in a system. This is very secondary. Not faith in a goal or an idea, but faith in ourselves. It is the most important quality in making vision reality. It is the most challenging quality for us to cultivate. It is one of the most essential qualities needed for traveling this path and for living, not just in re meditation retreats, but for living in our lives in the spirit of freedom. Unfortunately, when our faith is shaken, too often in our lives we, we practice the habit of bondage. Because it's too easy then for us to be afraid to take risks, to trust in ourselves, to really begin to make changes because of the doubt that arises. Faith is not necessarily an easy thing for us to cultivate. It's something we need to nurture carefully. It is something we need to remind ourselves of that we have the capacity to be fully awake, compassionate, loving, and clear human beings. It is something we need to connect with, a faith in that so deeply that when we say the words to ourselves, that we don't just get a hollow echo, but a sense of knowing, a sense of certainty inwardly that this is our possibility. It seems to me often that it is vision and that it, it, it's sometimes vision alone that allows us to make radical leaps in our consciousness. It seems to me that it is often vision that really allows us to make radical transformations in our lives because vision makes us strong. It doesn't make us invincible or invulnerable, but it helps us to be undistracted. It helps us to be courageous. It helps us to have the willingness to let go of the conditioning and the beliefs and the histories and the images that have previously defined our world and our own inner vision. When that vision isn't present, our path too easily becomes a journey of just endlessly modifying and altering and trying to improve ourselves. When that vision isn't present, we too easily become reduced just to endlessly reacting to the past, endlessly reacting to a history which is over and yet which we may not yet be willing to bury. When the vision is weak, at times instead of reaching for horizons in our consciousness and our lives, we become simply resigned to being more familiar with our boundaries. Seems that we have a tendency to think in terms of continuity. We have three frames of reference in our lives. We have the past, we have the present, and we have the future. And the link that we see between those three is our sense of I, our sense of self, our sense of who we are and who we are and who we may become. 
If we look back in our lives, we see who we used to think of ourselves, who we used to be, and we see how our perception and our sense of ourselves in the past has molded and shaped our belief in who we are now. And it's thus not too big a jump of the mind to see that who we believe ourselves to be now in our lives is clearly going to influence who we will become in the future. We also see how our relationship, not only inwardly, but our relationship to the world around us and other people in this moment is molded by the relationships that we have formed in the past. Relationships which were clearly linked to our sense of who we are. Our sense of who we used to be and who we are forces that shape that are our memories and our past experiences, the whole accumulation of experiences in the past that have made an impression upon us, the experiences that have hurt and wounded us, the experiences that have brought us happiness and love, the experiences that have undermined or have enhanced our sense of ourselves. Those very experiences have helped to construct a belief in who we are. That belief in who we are leads us to look upon the world in ways that are specific to us. We may find ourselves looking upon the world with suspicion or anger. We might find ourselves looking upon the world with openness and fearlessness. We might find ourselves looking upon the world defensively to protect ourselves. We might find ourselves looking with generosity. Just look at ourselves in this moment. The ways in which we define ourselves by our feelings and our images. The ways in which we define ourselves by our thoughts. When we have a description, I am. And we have a word that's added on to that that tells us about who we believe ourselves to be. Think of the ways in which we react, in which we may open, in which we may close. The ways that we relate to other people, either with judgment or with forgiveness, with disconnection or with giving. And when we look at the ways in which we open and close, the images we have of ourselves, you see the threads of them. They reach far into the past. How often do you ever have a new feeling, a new thought, a new reaction, even a very new relationship? How often do we just not see repetition of old feelings, old thoughts, slightly modified, slightly different, against different backgrounds? It's not often that we find something really new arising that has no link to the past. And we see the way we have our, think of ourselves, the way we believe ourselves to be in this moment, clearly influences the future. This moment is the next moment's personal history. How we are in this moment, it doesn't die at the ending of this moment. 
how we relate to this moment that doesn't finish just because the moment changes. How we engage in an interaction doesn't, isn't dissolved just because that interaction is over. All of that we carry with us. It makes an impression on the consciousness into the next moment. What we grasp hold of in this moment is our next moment's history. You can see where the possibility of transformation lies. The future is somewhat unknown to us. That certainly doesn't mean that we don't think about it. And the thoughts that we have about it, how many of the thoughts that we have in the future are simply thoughts of somehow modifying the present and the past, improving it, hopefully, altering it. But how many of our thoughts about the future are simply slight rearrangements in a better way from the present and the past. It is rare to have a thought of the future which is divorced from the present and the past. We hope for more of one thing and we hope for less of another. We've seen ourselves in the present, we've seen ourselves in the past, perhaps with anger, perhaps with greed, perhaps with sadness. When we think of the future, we hope there'll be less of that. We perhaps see ourselves in the present and we see, well, there's, there's some happiness and peace. We hope for more of that in the next moment. And yet the next moment is linked to this moment by our sense of I, by our sense of who we believe ourselves to be. We think in terms of continuity. But when the, sen when the center of that continuity is I, and when our sense of I rests upon an impaired sense of vision that believes in limitations, then the continuity or what is born of that impaired sense of vision, we can only think of improvement and alteration and modification. When we think of what we hope for, the qualities we hope for, how do we think we're going to realize them? How are we going to make them possible in our lives? If we are still working from an impaired sense of vision that believes in limitation. When we see the influence of the past as we focus in the present, when we see things that we don't welcome from the past arising in the present in ways that lead us to being in particular ways or seeing in particular ways that we don't like. We think that the past is, a, is an obstacle. We think that we have to work out the past or resolve it or come to some solution about the past in order to be freer in this moment and in the next moment, which is the future. So we think then, as we focus upon the past and the present, of modifying and altering what we consider to be negative or unwelcome. And sometimes then what we do is we become more familiar with our boundaries. We may stretch them. We may become softer. And we do what we can in terms of developing balance and equanimity 
And the effect is that certain changes are brought about. And these are necessary. It is necessary to cultivate a healthy sense of being, a healthy sense of self, before self really can be let go of. In many ways, that's true. It's, it's nigh near impossible, not totally, but difficult, to let go of an unhealthy sense of self. Because an unhealthy sense of self, the very nature of it is dwelling. The very nature of a damaged or wounded sense of self is to dwell, is to obsess, is to cling, is to hold, is to describe itself by limitation. And healing and learning the skillfulness of gentleness and love and acceptance and generosity, they are necessary lessons for all of us. But try not to believe that freedom depends on making yourself perfect. Try not to believe this may be a lifelong task of endlessly altering and modifying your sense of self so that you can be free. Unless we come to a point, or you might say, it's important to come to a point where we see that a leap is necessary in consciousness. It's a leap of faith. That a radical change, actually, within our way of seeing is necessary. It's hard to move from that place of, of endlessly modifying and alterating, of, uh, of trying to regain steadiness and balance and then losing it, or establishing calm and equanimity and then losing it. It's hard uh, uh, restoring calm and openness and then resting in that space of having restored calm and openness for a period of time until something else arises like anger and fear and then again become busy altering and modifying that and coming back to a place of balance and openness. This is what we do for a time. And it's important to know the skillfulness of doing that of knowing the skillfulness of drawing on our inner resources so that we can rest in spaciousness. But there's also a point where we must feel no longer obliged to always fix and do. We can come to a kind of plateau in meditation where we've done a lot of work, a lot of very valid work, and changes have come about. And yet we see, we, we kind of rest in that plateau of establishing something and then losing it and establishing again and losing it and establishing again and losing it and, and moving from, from calm to agitation and back to calm. And we get skillful at doing that, but it can also become quite a plateau. We even get so familiar with our boundaries that they get boring. You know, we have that old yogi mind that's fairly equanimous and then something rises. Now it's just my anger again. You know, I know this one. I know this greed and I also know exactly what to do to lessen it. Or I know this agitation or this restlessness and I know exactly what to do, how to get back to a place of calm. We can become incredibly familiar with that until we realize, perhaps, that we have come to some form of plateau. Now, this plateau, 
to me is an incredibly important time. It can be a place of deep spiritual discontent, which I do not see as being negative in any way. Now that spiritual discontent of knowing that place we can get to and yet feeling, not knowing how to go beyond it, can manifest in different ways. It can manifest in ways which are really pretty painful and hard. Sometimes it can manifest in a way in which we seem to lose faith in ourselves and our possibility. And we just accept that this is the fruition and the whole of our spiritual practice. The master mechanics of meditation. You know, we know the engine well, and we know how to keep it running. But it's very easy to lose that sense of spark, of possibility, of vision. Very easy to lose our faith in it. Sometimes when we come to that plateau, we think, oh, well, there's something wrong with my practice. It must be the practice. Something, you know, it's a technique. It must be, you know. And there must be something more exciting somewhere else, a more exciting practice, a more, uh, you know, tantric practice, maybe. Um, you know, that's going to have some more, you know, real, some real sparks, you know, and, and some real, real new solutions for us. Well, a number of us have done that one, and feel free. But, <laughs> but that place of spiritual discontent is also the place from which can emerge a sense of vision which is truly liberating. A quality of vision where we are not always turning towards the past, nor are we not always reacting to the appearance of the past and the present, but it can be a place where there can be a real forsaking of the belief in strategies and in the reality, a real forsaking of the belief in the reality of a limited sense of vision. A real willingness to know, that knows deeply that I can go no more, no further, with fixing and doing and improving. And the consciousness at that point can make a leap. It's the willingness to leave history behind. What difference, reflect for a moment, what difference would it really make in our lives if we no longer believed in any way, on any level of our being, in the limited images of ourselves that arise. If we no longer described ourselves in that way, if I am this or I am that, I am the other, I will become this, I used to be, what would we be like if we had no descriptions? What would it mean to us? What difference would it make in our lives? What would happen in our consciousness? if we no longer believed in the stories and the constructions? Who would we be if we no longer used the past as the reference point for our definitions of ourselves in the present? If we no longer used the memories and the accumulations from the past to define ourselves, to define who we are now, how would we live? How would we relate to the world? if we didn't have that center 
if we weren't living in a way in which we were subscribing to that center, an impaired vision based on the past, how would we live if our lives were no longer governed by holding or by fear? What would we do and who would we be if we were no longer required to fix and to alter and to modify because we no longer believed in the images or the descriptions that we get so busy in altering? The most fundamental question of the spiritual life lies in our willingness to forsake our belief in the unreal. The most fundamental insight in the spiritual life is no longer believing the unreal to be real. There are many qualities spoken of in spirituality of compassion, of openness, of forgiveness, and surrender, of real wisdom. And none of those qualities that are spoken of are stages or destinations that we reach. Those qualities are the expression of a liberated heart and a liberated consciousness. They don't belong to any other moment, but to this moment they never can. Every mystical tradition, every great tradition of awakening speaks and teaches the possibility of liberation, of freedom. This is the heart of every spiritual tradition. It is the story of every great mystic. And what is awakening? Is it, is it some experience that we have that we get high on and then we consign to our memories? Surely that's not awakening. What is liberation is it's not being able to feel that we can go through the world dumping or being free to do whatever I want or get whatever I want. So it's not freedom. What does freedom actually imply? That no longer believing the false to be true. And what is false? What is the unreal? Everything that is constructed doesn't have that quality of reality. Everything that is created, our images, our separations, our dualities, constructions and creations of the mind that separate us, even our belief in freedom as being a result of becoming perfect is unreal. When awakening is spoken of, what is spoken of is seeing the end of all separation, the end of all duality, the emptiness of all of that. Certainly not annihilation. It's an unshakable vision of reality, an unshakable vision of oneness, not an experience to add to our portfolio, but an insight, a direct revelation that is born of silence and stillness. And silence and stillness is a gift that comes to us through surrendering our beliefs. Silence and stillness is a blessing that comes to us 
through letting go of our beliefs that lead us into endless modification and alteration. And in that silence and stillness, our vision is realized. Our vision of our capacity to be an awake and a conscious, compassionate human being. Our vision of truth, our vision of reality, our vision of oneness is revealed to us in that silence. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from separation. May all beings be awake. 